For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's two up top this evening as both Carl and James are off on scouting trips for me. However, fear not, because I've reshuffled the pack and have two great guests. Being trusted with the captain's armband this evening is the returning Holly. So Holly, how have you been since we spoke, what, a few weeks ago now? Yeah, not too bad. I'm excited to take the captain's armband and uh, discuss what happened yesterday. No pressure, but I'm sure you'll be fine. You've done this many a time before, so don't worry on that front. And also, making his debut on the show is Chris Miller. Well, you know, you may probably know him as Windy via social media and all the pods that he does. So, Chris, it's a pleasure to have you on board. I hope you're looking forward to being on the show. Very much looking forward to it. Very glad that Holly's got the armband, so there's uh, less responsibility for me. That's fine, mate. We'll edge you into the proceedings now because we're going to have the hit segment, Tell Us About Yourself. So, really easy, quick-fire questions. And, uh, yeah, just very simple. So, are you ready for those, Chris? Absolutely. Hit me with it. OK, let's go. So, Chris, when did you first start supporting Tottenham? Blimey, I was I was literally a babe in arms. Uh, my dad had me in a Spurs bib. So, it's, uh, yeah, 36 years ago. Good age. My age as well. So, you'll be aware of the sort of, I wouldn't say vintage, of that sort of, uh, <laughs> say, late 90s era. But who was your favourite player growing up? Teddy Sheringham, without a shadow of a doubt. Loved his style. Loved the goals he scored for us. He was a, a proper hero. And who is your favourite player in this current squad? Uh, uh, it's got to be Harry Kane. I think he's my favourite player of all time now, just because of everything he's done. All the goals against Arsenal, all the goals full stop. He's got a bit of everything. Came through the academy. I saw him play for our academy when he was 15. And I just loved watching him grow from what he was then to what he's become. OK, that's always, I guess, quite an obvious answer, which is nothing wrong with that, because I think a lot of people have gone for Harry Kane. Which player have you had a bit of a left-field love for, shall we say? Someone that you don't necessarily have any sort of a hate for, but someone else might. You sort of think, he's your diamond in the rough. Who's that man been for you? Eric Lamella, for sure. Uh, him and his pointy, angry elbows. Um, yeah, always wanted to defend him when everyone's been on his back. He's always uh, he's always been a source of enjoyment for me since he arrived at Spurs. We've not had a Lamella one yet, actually. So, uh, yes, I think you can, you can have that as your badge of honour, if you like, Chris. <laughs> So that is the end of this hit segment. Tell us about yourself for this week. Before we get into the show, let's do the social media bits first so we can dissect yesterday and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Company Spurs app where the podcast will be available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us across social media on Twitter at COIS underscore COM and we're on all the major audio platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If we're not on one, just let us know. We'll get it on there and we'll all be happy. Right, let's get down to business. And that business holds is throwing away a 3 deal lead at home to West Ham. One that eventually ends in a share of the points. So if ever the cliche, it's a game of two halves, was at its most true, I guess yesterday was that time. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, first half, we were phenomenal. I thought we were amazing. And then second half just kind of came off the boil. It's, it's that age-old thing, I think, really. It's so annoying, the fact that we are cruising first half and then second half, it just goes to pot, doesn't it? We allow West Ham to have more time on the ball. We allow West Ham to do more things. And then like all things, we sit back and what happens? It comes to bite us on the bum. So yeah, it was a very frustrating game. So Chris, that's twice now at home that we've seen three points turn into one in the last minutes. Now, if you were to try and find any mitigating circumstance when it happened against Newcastle, you could say that we didn't take our chances in the first half and we were on top. 
But that's, you know, that's a goal. It can happen. It's 1-0, that kind of thing. Yesterday, it's 3-0. So how on earth can you atone for not just conceding three, but it's not as if it's a goal that, you know, 46 minutes, an hour, and then it starts. It's in a tight time frame of 10 minutes. So what on earth happens there? Oh, where to start? I mean, firstly, it's very un-Mourinho uh, to, to, to lose a game from that position. Normally, he's the master of um, manipulating the game state, as we say. He's, you know, get 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 the team ahead and then do whatever's needed to to finish the opposition off and make sure they restrict they have restricted chances. Uh, I think, broadly speaking, I, I thought West Ham didn't deserve to be 3-0 down at half-time. We just were absolutely ruthless when we had our chances. And I thought the game was a bit closer at half-time than the scoreline suggested. And then we basically just stopped playing. I, I, I think the intention was to conserve energy and see the game out. It didn't work out that way. They They had a foothold in the game from straight after the restart. And uh, we didn't respond. We didn't respond at all well. We, we didn't really have a plan. Uh, the substitutions were unhelpful, shall we say. Um, and it, it all just went horribly wrong. So, Holes, when you look at these first three home games of the season, it's just two points. Now, yes, you can say we perform much better than two points being accrued. Is that a concern for you that we're not getting games dusted can you still say, actually, it's only the campaign, there's plenty more football to reverse this trend? How much of a overall concern is this for you in the first month? I think, personally, for me, I think it's just the fact that we always get towards the end of the season and it's these games that cost us. And that's what's so frustrating. Like, Don't get me wrong, I don't think that maybe next game we will have that sort of circumstance. I think it will give us motivation to push on and make sure that we do get those three points past the line. But... From it, looking at it in the long run, I think these types of games are the ones that always bite us on the bum. And I think that is just something that's concerning in general. But yeah, I think for the squad and I think where Jose is at with the team, I think it's more that he'll take this into the next game and be like, look, this is what happens if we don't actually try and maybe push on to get another goal early on in the second half just to kill him off. Because I think, like we've already discussed, I think West Ham did come out that second half and we're like, I think we're really deflated that we're actually... 3-0 down like it's not retrospective of how well we've played so yeah I think we've just got to take from this what it is it's done now we've just got to move on and be like we need to go and kick on and make sure that this doesn't really happen again So Chris with that in mind people will say yes our performances have been better but does switching off against both Newcastle and West Ham now lean towards a wider issue one that for starters the inability to keep a clean sheet uh, I don't think so, to be honest. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, with defence isn't perfect. I, I thought yesterday it was more to do with the general team shape and not necessarily the defence specifically. Um, it's a problem, not keeping a clean sheet, but the thing is we've got such a good front line that it, it doesn't... In, in most games, it won't matter because we'll score more than the opposition. Um, obviously, Mourinho is, is known for being a defensive-minded coach, Hopefully he can put some of those uh, tactical defensive-minded skills to good use and, and get us set up to keep a few more clean sheets. But if the worst comes to the worst and we don't keep clean sheets, then we've got one of the best front lines, if not the best front line in the league. And, and we should be fine. I think ultimately we're a really, really good team. There's no need to, to worry about uh, the, the lasting effect that this game might have. I think instead we need to just focus on the fact that it's a new team. They're still betting together. We've we had injuries yesterday. You know, Lo Celso wasn't playing one of our best players. Um, it'll get better and we'll be absolutely fine. We're, we're a really good side. Well, this is it, Holly, because obviously we go 3-0 up 
And really, this episode should be waxy lyrical about a partnership between Harry Kane and Hume Minsol, which we can do now. But that should have been, you know, the day of Harry Kane, where he may, may have got a hat-trick if things go the other way when he clips that post later on. You know, it should have been a real joy about an attacking performance where we put another team to bed. So let's try and look at some positives. That being, you know, opening the proceedings after 45 seconds. And you look at this new Harry Kane role... That pass, the vision, is just outstanding. And it just seems to be almost like telepathic now, doesn't it? And it's a real joy. And this sort of extra role, this new role that we're seeing, has given Tottenham such an extra impetus in attack. Yeah, it's a madness. It's it's just so nice to see that not only has Harry Kane got the goal-scoring opportunities and all the things he does in front of goal, but he can also make things happen as well. And I think it's just the, the partnership's been growing for a very long time. And to actually see it now actually formulating making goals, setting each other up is really nice. And like we've touched on, I mean, yeah, cool. We can score as many goals as we like. That was evidence against West uh, Man United. But like I said, I think for me, defence is always going to be worrying. But like we said, if we can cut teams open as easy as that, we've just got to, like I say, maybe in the second half, just push on to get the next one to fully ki- kill the team off. So, Chris, I mean, if you'd watched... Kane yesterday, if we ever had a heat map, you could probably look at his positioning. It was everywhere. You know, there's some sort of desperate clearances mm-hmm. at, at times. Now, even though he's everywhere, there seems to be more purpose to that additional positioning this season. Whereas last season, in the last sort of few weeks, he was trying to be all jobs to all people, not really sort of making that difference. So what do you think the change of mindset has been there? Uh, definitely there's a, a plan to get Son in behind as early as possible. So you'll see Kane drop deep, his head goes up, he's looking for that run. Uh, He's one of the best strikers of the ball uh, in the league, so that in terms of shooting, but also in terms of long-range passing. So we're getting the best out of his long-range passing abilities. Um, The the fact that he was in his own box defending on the stroke of hard time is just, that's just testament to him as as a character, I think. He's uh, a leader, as as Mourinho likes um, and, and likes to to make a big deal of, he's someone who wants to put his body on the line for the for the club. He'll track back if needs if needs be. But the thing is, at the moment, we've got Son in just as hot form as Kane, so he can afford to drift around the pitch. He doesn't need to be the one in the box scoring the goals because he's got a foil in Son who's who's scoring just as many. I'll start with you, Chris. Actually, on the topic of your Min Song, do you feel that? people in general in terms of football they don't consider him world class because of his nationality now if he was Portuguese Italian Brazilian the accolades the plaudits he'd get would probably be even higher it might even be a benefit to us as a club because he's perhaps under the radar and not being ready to be plucked higher up from the football hierarchy so do you reckon there's a modicum of truth in that? I do I definitely do I think there's a, a, a sense of snobbery um, around around Korean footballers that is absolutely to our benefit, as it means we get to keep hold of him for longer. Uh, and I think it's it's very short-sighted because the other bonus with, with Son, and Daniel Levy will love this, is that there is a huge, partially untapped market in Korea. I mean, we've seen the number of, of Korean fans um, turning up at the stadium to see Son, who've now become Spurs fans. That's that's wonderful. Welcome to the family, as we say. Um, and it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant for, for Spurs. It's brilliant for Son. Um, and you know, frankly, it's a shame that he doesn't get held in as high esteem as, as, as you say, some of the sort of Central European stars. But uh, I'm very happy for him to fly slightly under the radar and for us to reap the benefits of that. Well, of course, yeah, because if it keeps him off the radar, off the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, because if you, you think he's 
Mo Salah, for example, always getting linked with a £150 million pound mm-hmm. move somewhere. You know, whether it materialises, we don't know. But really, you're sort of thinking, well, why not Son? Because the talents aren't a million miles apart. So with that in mind, Holly, with Son at the age he is, do you feel there's even more in terms of a progression of talent? Is he at the sort of apex of his ceiling? Like, where can he go from here? Hopefully, just continue banging in goals for Spurs. Um, so, like we've said, like the fact that no other team's really looking for him because of his nationality is definitely a bonus for us. And I think there's still more of him to come. I mean, we've seen from Kane, from his progression, that now he's adding these long ball specialists in now. Just kind of highlights that even if you are a good footballer, you can exceed your levels. And I think that's what we're seeing from Kane. So hopefully we'll see more from that from Sonny too. Well, if I start with you, Holly, and we go back to Harry Kane, the role he's sort of starting to play now is almost Roberto Firmino-esque. But the criticism that Firmino would have is that he doesn't get enough goals. So even though Kane's position has changed, he's not sacrificing his goal scoring output either with the two he scored yesterday. No, exactly. And that's what I mean. I think that... I think Harry Kane is sometimes someone that goes under the radar just because of where he is. I think there's a lot of rival fans to say that think there's, he's nothing special. But there's us that get to witness him play these pinger balls, manage to find goals at the back of the net. You just think, how have you managed that? Like He knows exactly where that goal is. And I think the fact that we're so lucky to have both of them at reaching at the standards that they are at the moment and just connecting so well just really highlights the fact that we have got a very strong forward too. Now, Chris, there's nothing like a draw against West Ham to sort of temper the mood, but I think social media as a collective, shall we say, not pointing to any individuals at all, but I think we were guilty of getting caught up in bail week and this is it and, you know, why mm. not Why not the league and all that. Obviously, like I say, that's been quelled slightly, but with the Premier League being as it is, as, shall we say, as crazy it is, it is in these first few weeks of the campaign. Do Tottenham have any chance of winning the Premier League with Liverpool losing Van Dijk? Does that sort of flatten the landscape a little bit more? Are we any closer to being the real deal? Or is it still that work in progress? I, I think both. I think it is a work in progress. But I think we've also got a, a reasonable chance of winning the league, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, people are getting overexcited both ways. I mean, after the Man U game, people were... <laughs> Yeah, over-egging, over-egging the pudding. Um, equally, after West Ham, people are saying that, you know, we're not good enough. We, 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 we haven't got this winning mentality, etc., etc. I think neither, neither are true. I think we're a good team who will probably get better as the season progresses, as, as players bed in. You know, we've got Regalons new to the league. He's looking a tremendous player, but we'll get better and better. We've got Gareth Bale to add to the mix as well. We've got injured players to come back. There's lots to be hopeful about. And, and like you mentioned... Liverpool have got their most important player now missing for a, probably a long period. They're also looking vulnerable, like they didn't look last season in terms of the Aston Villa defeats. City are up and down. It's, I can't call it at the moment. It's too. I mean, it is too early because four or five games in, no team's really settled, other than Everton, who, who seem really well, no team's really settled into a, a pattern. I don't think we can make any judgments at this point. We just need to make sure that we're still in amongst it in you know a couple of months' time, Christmas, January, that kind of time, and, and go from there. But in a season where lots of the teams you'd expect to be at the top seem to be uh, suffering for different reasons, there's no reason why we, we can't make ourselves part of, the, part of the discussion. Yeah, I mean, certainly we could be part of the conversation. You know, that's a big difference between that and winning the title. But at the same time, Chris, does that mean with the Lyle Land being as 
as it is this early, it might just be a case of whoever can sort their defence out the quickest might then go on and reap the biggest reward. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I mean, January transfer window is only a few weeks away. That's, that's the weird thing about this season. We're sort of, what, eight, ten weeks away of, from the from the January window. So if, if City, for example, are struggling and need to sign a, a player, they can do that. Liverpool can go and slap down 50 million and sign a, a Van Dijk replacement if if he's out for the season so it's 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 difficult to say it's difficult to make any kind of firm judgments at this point and I think we just need to enjoy the ride to be honest it's uh it's good fun having Bale back in the squad for all kinds of reasons but largely from nostalgia reasons just because he meant so much to so many of us uh we've got Kane and Son in the form of their life we've got Ndombele in midfield who is just unreal Let's just enjoy it. Let's just enjoy this this time, this ride, and, and see where it takes us. Well, it was certainly a ride yesterday, certainly those last 10 minutes. Now, that's when it all went to pot. They go to 3-1, and at that point, Holly, you're thinking, OK, it's a consolation goal. These things happen. There's no clean sheet, but three points and three points. Is it fair to say the pivotal moment in the game is the Danielson Sanchez's own goal? Because when that goes in, the belief levels for West Ham go through the roof. Yeah, 100%. I think that kind of, um, like you said, the first goal is kind of like a consolation goal and you're thinking in the back of your mind, like every Spurs fan is like, not again, let's not do it again. And then when Sanchez heads that obviously home in his own net, you're thinking, "Ah, here it goes again. And here it goes again. It did. I think, like we said, I don't think West Ham should have been 3-0 down. We were just sublime in the first half. And I think that really egged them on to go on and try and get something out at the end of the game. And like I say, when you get that first goal and then you get a second, you're like, oh, there's a bit of belief here. So, yeah, I think that Davison Sanchez error, I don't know whether it was a bit unlucky. I can't really remember whether he directs his head or whether he actually just tries to play it forward and it pings off and goes into the back. But, yeah, again, it's it's a bit shaky business at the back, but it definitely gave West Ham some belief. So, Chris, what did you make of Sanchez's performance overall yesterday? I think the first five minutes, he looked a bit shaky. There's some just, you know, bit of indifference. The own goal, obviously, doesn't cover himself in glory there. Is this nothing more than a day to forget for the Colombian, or is it one of those too many? Uh, I'd probably at this point be edging towards the latter. I'm, I'm not... Um, I don't think he's terrible. I think he's, he's a good player. I think he's he's still relatively young for a centre-back. He's got lots of, of skills that you would want a centre-back to have. I don't think he's that great on the ball. And I don't think he's good enough defensively to to compensate for that for a team that wants title aspirations, that wants to sort of be in the in the top four consistently. I, like I said, I don't think he's bad by any stretch. I definitely think we can improve upon him. To be honest, I think we can improve upon him from within the squad because I think Tanganga is probably going to be a better player than Sanchez and I don't think it'll be long before we see that. Um and I think if we were to sell Sanchez tomorrow, we would really struggle to get our 40 million back for him. We might get half of that. Um, uh, it's tough because he, he's he's definitely not bad, but he's also not great. Well, I think this is the problem with football fans in this current climate being so overreactionary that every mistake then makes you the worst player in the world. And you are right that he's not quite where we want him to be, but at the same time, it's you know, there's always a case of throwing the baby out of the bathwater, and I don't think we're there either. So it's probably in the middle of those two grounds. And Holly, with him being 24, people will say, OK, well, there's still some defensive maturity for him to find. Other people can then say, well, you know, 42 million, he should be there already. That, coupled with the fact that it's now, what, his fourth season at the club? At what point, these performances that you see yesterday, do they need to be nipped into the bud? 
I mean, sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Like you said, it's, it's been four seasons now. Like, how, how long do you wait? I think, for me, I think, like we said, he's, he's not great on the ball. I think the only thing that really gets him out of trouble sometimes is his pace. I think that's the only thing. I think when he's with Toby, if Toby's quite out of position, which is very rarely, but still, Sanchez can be there to just cover and get rid. So, yeah, it's it's not great, is it? And like we said, I think Tanganga coming up from the ranks, I think definitely will be a better centre-back than Sanchez. And I don't know, I think whether Jose's still trying to find his best two partnerships or whether that's just how the rotations happened in this game. I, I don't really know. But yeah, for me, I'm not the biggest fan of Sanchez, but I'm also probably not one of these people that say that he's god-awful. With that pace, Chris, do you think he sometimes uses that as a fail-safe to his own detriment, knowing that, oh, because I've got that in my locker, I'll be able to get away with scrapes more often than not? Whereas you think, actually, if you probably just applied yourself a bit more, you wouldn't need to get into those problems anyway. Uh, I wouldn't say that, to be honest. I, I think it's having that recovery pace means you can be a bit more, more, a bit more aggressive and, uh, and, and go for challenges that you wouldn't necessarily go for if you, if you knew you couldn't make it back to, to cover rounds. Um, I actually agree with, with what Holly said, that he's, he's very good on the cover when, uh, say, Toby or, or Dyer lose the ball in the air or, or whatever it might be. He's, he's, he's really good at anticipating and covering round, and, and the pace does help him in those situations. I think the problem is his concentration more than anything. Um, he, he's also, for such a physical specimen, you know, he's a really well-built guy, good, good upper body. He doesn't use his strength to his advantage particularly well. I feel like his balance is an issue. He, he doesn't quite... Uh, I, 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 can't, I can't say exactly what it is, but there's, some, there's definitely a balance issue there, which means he gets shrugged off the ball more easily than he should be shrugged off it. Um, uh, I think his pace is an asset. I wouldn't say that uh, it gets him out of trouble as such, but I think it allows him to be more aggressive. I just think that he needs to improve his concentration. Talking of concentration, we all know what happens next then, because 3-2, there's an Aaron Cresswell free kick, it's retaken, and then, well, everyone always looks for a scapegoat when things go wrong. Yesterday, scapegoat, it looks like it's Harry Winks. With that in mind, Chris, is that a fair statement to make? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think, to be honest, of all the subs, the Winks sub was the most sensible. He's... He's a player that we used to use when he was first breaking the team. He used to come off the bench and help us see out games that we were maybe one or two nil up in uh, because he's, he's a possession player. He's good at keeping the ball when you when you want to keep it and, and keep the opposition away from, from your goal. So it was a sensible move to bring him on. I, I don't think Ndombele coming off helped. I think it probably should have been Sissoko, uh, but maybe Ndombele was, was tired. I don't know, his fitness is still a, a slight concern. Um, and, and the ball that Winks went for, you know, he's, he's on the stretch. Could he have... Could he have just thrown a foot at it and, and smashed it clear? Maybe it's, it's tight. He's on the stretch. He's trying to do something. He's trying to take it, nick it away from the man, which he does. He then gets blocked off. I think he, I think he's legitimately fouled, to be honest. Um, and then you know, Lanzini hits a shot which is point not one xg or something crazy like that. It's a one in a hundred chance of going in. He basically puts it in the only part of the net that we we don't have covered. It's yeah, just insane strike it's one of those things I, I definitely don't blame Winks um, I mean it doesn't look good for Winks that <laughs> we conceded three after he came on but I think to say that is on Winks is, is wrong well, this is it Holly because when you look at the, the replay he's never really in control of the ball for people to you know people going put your foot through it and all this on social media and you think well as Chris alludes to he's on the stretch even if he gets better contact he's never really going to get much power out of it so 
you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Add the indifferent challenge from Ogbonna, where really it should have been a foul. Then there's Larice. Does he go with his stronger arm in theory? Perhaps, you know, do we need to portion a bit of blame there? Or, as Chris says, is it just one of those blameless goals and it just puts the cherry on their cake? I mean, what can you do? I mean, exactly. Like we said, it's one of those freakish goals. I don't really think there's much else he could have done, really, Winks. I mean, I think a lot of fans have been very reactionary, but that's kind of what happens on Twitter anyway. But I think if we're going to blame anyone, I think it's it's tough one because I think Sissoko was at fault for the first one for not jumping. And then, obviously, you've got the next one and then you've got that freak one. I think it was just a combination of different players at different times, not really concentrating, not really thinking. And I think that just kind of ultimately led to that draw. With Winks, though, Chris, he does divide opinion. And I think for as long as he is at, at Tottenham, he always will because he is a bit of a Marmite player. Now, I know you've spent a lot of time watching academy football, so you would have seen his trajectory into the first team. Do you feel he genuinely possesses the required quality to play for Tottenham? Will he always just be a decent squad player? Or, you know, we talk about ceilings. Is there still more to come from him? There's definitely more to come. Um, but I also think he's a, he's a good squad player. I think he's we, someone... I mean... Can you improve on Winks as a player? Yes. Do you, is he a priority to improve upon? No, he's he's fine as a squad player. I think the problem is that we've tried to sort of shape him into this uh, holding midfielder, defensive, midf- defensive-minded midfielder. I don't think that's really his game. I think he's um, he's more of the link man in midfield, more of a number eight. He's, he's neither defensive nor necessarily a, a number 10. He's He's there for transitions. He's there to move the ball quickly. He's not great defensively. He never has been, to be honest. Um, he, he played definitely a more offensive role for the academy sides. Uh, and, and so he hasn't sort of got those natural defensive abilities. He, he's not great at, um, at screening, He's both in terms of anticipating, but also in terms of physically being there to, as a barrier. And we've seen what a difference it makes with, with Huey Bjerren there. You know, a much more imposing player who who anticipates well and, and that kind of exposes Winks' weakness um, and I feel sorry for him because it's it's not his it's not the best use of his skill set and yet he's been asked to do that job for what, nigh on 18 months now um, I guess because Pochettino didn't have the tools to to do his job properly so he kind of had to forge them from, from within so it is, it's really tricky for Winks. I, I definitely see a future for him at Spurs. Is he a, is he a starter? No, definitely not. Now we've got Hjoibier and Dombele and Celso. But he's absolutely fine as a rotation player. I mean, he's, for 20 games a season, he's, he's more than adequate. This is it, Holly. You know, some players can just be good at a certain role. And if that role is just being a squad player, there's no shame in that. So do sometimes we as fans have to remember this, that not every player who plays for Spurs is going to be world-class, in inverted commas. You know, there are going to be players who are a step down. And although we won't expect the best from them, as Chris says, just playing that role and you know, not featuring every week, but doing a good job when required, that's not necessarily a problem either, is it? No, and I think it's more so now the squad we've got. I mean, I think with the the, the people that have come in, the likes of Bale, Vinicius and Hoiberg, I think it just shows that the squad has developed, the squad has got higher, so the performance is higher. And I think having those people like Winks that can come on and do a job, I think, is something that we have desperately needed for a long time. And I think it's great. I mean, the fact that now we can rotate players rather than playing the same people constantly and then getting them injured. And then when we have a big game, it means we have to play a weaker side when actually we could have played a stronger side if we had those players to rotate. So I think it is a very good idea having the likes of Winks that can come off of the bench. 
And of course, Chris, just moments before the Hammers make it 3-3, three three, it was very nearly 4-2 to us. And the, mm-hmm. Gareth, the Gareth Bale comeback cameo was almost almost scripted perfectly. So what do you put that miss down to? Because the actual build-up and the, the run was fantastic. So is it a lack of sharpness? Or shall we be giving credit to the West Ham? I think it was Jan Malenko who just managed to sort of put him off his stride when he was about to pull the trigger. I think it's just a, a shade of rustiness. Uh, but you, you're right, the script is nearly written. First touch, a free kick. <laughs> Straight down the keeper's throat, really, but uh, that that was set up nicely for him. And then obviously that chance. I thought the um, the chance was really interesting because you saw a glimpse. So so when uh, when he's making that run forward, he definitely didn't look like the Bale of old. He he kind of looked like a very different shaped player, much slower, much much bigger than uh, than we were used to seeing back in the day. And, and he didn't quite have the same acceleration. But once he got the ball. His footwork was still there. I mean, there was no doubt that he you know, was very quick-footed, very fleet of foot to create that chance for himself, um, beating a man and getting a shot away. Just a hint of rustiness in the finish, but really good signs, I thought. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of criticising his lack of acceleration, but he, he, he joined the attack. Well, he's still got a stride in him. He's still he's a really tall man with a, with a big stride. He'll still eat up the ground, just not quite at the rate he did when he was uh, 22, 23. So the hype was always going to be for Bale on Sunday and it was only ever going to be a cameo, let's be honest. I mean, to expect 90 minutes out of him would have been a bit of an ask at this early stage. With that said, Holly, in a sense, do you think him coming on was the, the mental notion of everyone downing tools as if to say, yep, yeah, this is the perfect time to bring Bale on, job done, lads, three points in the bag and then we all know how it played out after that? I think you could probably put that spin on it. I think the fact that it was coming on, but I also think when he did come on, everybody was trying to look out for him, trying to give him the ball, try and give him that amazing cameo, that amazing game back to White Hart Lane. So I think you could say it was maybe down in the tools, but then I've always kind of said, even if Bale does come on for a little bit, you can guarantee he's probably going to get a shot on target or it might even go in or he's going to get an assist. So you could, it could kind of work two ways, really. So yeah, it could be down in the tools, but I also think it could have been that he was going to try and score as well. With that in mind, Chris, do you almost need him to get an early goal? Because otherwise it might be a case of, you know, when players try a bit too hard or the team tries too hard to get one certain reaction out of someone. Like, do we need him to sort of score against Burnley, get that monkey off his back, so to speak, and then the real football starts to flow? I don't think so, to be honest. I think he's going to contribute in in a whole host of different ways. I mean, partly just the fact that he's there um, means that he'll attract players, defensive players towards him, which will open up space for our other attacking players. Um, I, I wouldn't worry about kind of piling pressure on him. He's, he's big enough to deal with, with any pressure that comes. Um, he's got that maturity now. It won't matter. I'm, I'm sure he can't wait to score his first goal, but I don't think it's a problem. I don't think he needs to get the monkey off the back, so to speak. I think he could just be a, a, grow into the team in his, own, in his own pace, get back used to the tempo of the Premier League, which, of course, is very different. Uh, he's not played regularly for the last year, 18 months. So it's naturally going to take him a bit of time and uh, we just need to be patient with him, I think. And Chris, obviously with his arrival, there's more competition in those wide forward roles. And yesterday, I wouldn't say a surprise start, but Steven Bergwijn was at top of the queue rather than Lucas. So what did you make of his offering yesterday? I am a massive, massive fan of Bergwijn. I, I really like a lot about his game. I think his, his touch is fantastic in tight spaces. He's happy to take the ball in tight spaces and, and beat players. Uh, he's a good finisher, as we've seen on numerous occasions already. I thought he had a pretty poor game, to be honest. Um, and, and something Holly said earlier, just kind of, it rings true for me that 
the levels in the team have gone up so much now that it kind of exposes when a player's not at that level. And I, I definitely feel like Bergvine is um, lacking a bit of confidence at the moment. Um, he just kind of needs something to go right for him, I feel. Um, and hopefully that'll happen in the Europa League. He'll get plenty of opportunities, plenty of games, and um, hopefully he'll get some goals under his belt and, and build that confidence up. But it, it, it definitely shows when uh, the levels of the team are so high. You know, yesterday, Sanchez, we've mentioned, but Sissoko, Aurier, players that just aren't quite at the same level as, as some of the others, it really is obvious now because of the, the general quality of the team. Does that mean, Holly, we've got a clear first eleven, and then obviously, dare I say, even a clear second eleven now, but is there quite a drop-off between one unit and the other? I think you could say that with a certain amount of players, but I also think that that having that battle of your position, I think, also tries to raise the game of the other player. Like you said, like Lucas not starting that game and Bergeron starting, OK, his confidence isn't really there at the moment. He needs something to go right. But Bergeron's thinking, OK, I'm in front of Lucas here. I need to show my worth. And I think that's the same with Serge Aurier. You know my thoughts on Serge Aurier. Yes, but I think <laughs> I think in recent times, the fact that Matt has come in, I think he has tried to raise his game. Whether his game's at the right level yet, I'm not too sure. But it is, it is kind of showing. I think the fact to say that we have two separate squads, you could say in performance, yes. But I think to try and have those players that are deemed a bit lower than the other ones is kind of good because hopefully it'll just push them up. I hope so anyway. Yeah, you hope the competition in that sense is good. You know, you don't want players just thinking, OK, well, I know I'm the reserve, I'll take my role. You know, you want people sort of competing for places. The right-back one being a perfect example because although Aurier's, well, rough around the edges and he's got a mistake in him, <laughs> he has shown at the start of the season that, dare I say, there is a defender there somewhere. So you'd like to think that Doty's going to sort of pull him up with him. In terms of the midfield though, Holly, we've also got competition there. So it was unchanged from the win against Manchester United, maybe enforced because of La Celso's injury. So when he comes back... What is the optimum front three? I know, I know that can sort of just depend on where you're playing and who you're playing against. But if you're sort of thinking, OK, my three midfielders are going to be X, Y, Z, who are they? <laughs> I, honestly, at the, the rate that the Celso's playing, the Dombele, <laughs> I, I, li- I don't have a clue. I'm being generally honest right now. I think... The fact that Ndombele's come into the side now and has actually shown his worth. like We knew it would take a long time, but we didn't want it to stay this long. But now the fact that he's actually providing his tricky feet, he's providing that killer. I think there was a killer ball in the game that just went straight through to Kane. I don't think Kane was able to touch it down in time, but he's finally shown his qualities. And I think with Lacelso as well, I just can't. I can't choose. I'm going to have to be a right bummer and not be able to say who I think. But... Yeah, I, I don't really know, to be honest. That's all right. It's a bit rubbish from me. That's not a problem. <laughs> I'll expand on that a bit then, Chris, because I've not even mentioned Deli Ali in that part of the conversation. So he's obviously at the club now, at least till January. What's your take on all things, Ali? You know, there has been a drop-off, regression over the last couple of seasons. That's fair to say. But, you know, we talk about ceilings and progressions. Is he now at the most important stage of his career? Because he had a great start and it's not quite going the same now, is it? It's not. Um it's really frustrating for me to watch because he's so good. He's so good. And I, I think this is it's it kind of a problem with the modern football fan that we just, and I'm guilty of it too, you sort of see a player at the level they're at now and go, oh, that's them now. That's that's their, that's what they are. And it's of course, it's very different, though. They, they're human beings and players get better, get a bit worse, get better again, get worse again. There's constant flux, there's constant change and... You know, the job of the coach is to get the best 
the job of any manager in any profession is to get the best out of out of the team. Uh, and, and Mourinho needs to make it his project now to get Delhi. I mean, he seemed to from all or nothing. He seemed to sort of take him on initially as a project. Uh, he needs to restoke that fire and, and get Delhi back to the levels he was at because he was genuinely one of the best players in the league, one of the best young players in Europe. The goals and assists that he was getting were, you know, off off the scale, off the charts for a, a player that young. We need to get that back. We need to find a way to sort of reinvigorate him and not give up on him. Uh, and also, just from a sort of financial perspective, selling him now at this kind of slight downturn would be absolute insanity. He's a guy that a couple of years ago was being touted as a player worth £150 million. Why would you sell him now when he's probably worth about, what, 30 40 if we're going to sell him now? That would be insane. So we need to we need to get him back to where he was. He might never go back to, to where he was at his absolute peak, but he's a very good player. And, and again, you know, if we're saying that Winks is a viable squad player, Delhi's a more than viable squad player. He's a terrific talent. Um, and I'm desperate for us not to give up on him. It would be very short-sighted to do so. Was this the thing, Holly? Because as Chris says, when people look at players' trajectories in terms of their career, no one ever really has like a, a down spell and then they come back up. Everyone's always from a high point and they only get worse from there, which isn't true. So it will come with minutes... But the question is, where does Ali get those minutes from? Because you look at the midfield, and dare I say even the system, where does he even sort of utilise in that midfield? It's a tough question. Like, I was always one of these people that thought during the transfer window, if he's going to go, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be devastated if he went abroad, but I'd be devastated if he went to a club in the Premier League. And uh, now that Chris has said what he said, I, I can kind of see what he's saying. And maybe now is the wrong time to sell him. And the fact that we've said, well, if Winks is a squad player, how about Deli Ali? And I think that is true. Like you said, it's trying to find those minutes. But I think more importantly, it's trying to find that motivation because motivation for a place in the team at the moment, I don't, I don't think has worked. Whenever he's come on off the bench or started, it's, it's, it's just not there. He tries to do too much with the ball rather than play the simple ball. Like I don't know, something in him has, has been turned off, and we just need to find something to turn him back on because I don't know. Competition for, for place isn't that thing. Whether it be he has a it might sound ridiculous but may that be that he goes has a loan spell somewhere I don't know I, I think at the moment his head's just not in the game well you look at Ross Barkley at Aston Villa sometimes you just need that sort of change of scenery and it's not necessarily you know getting him sold he's flourishing at the moment maybe a January move I don't know but you need him to get minutes somewhere if he's not in favour you don't really want him rotting either because you're sort of losing that ability of the player you once had. So, of course, it's a nice problem. And, Chris, it looks like we're going to have nice problems at centre-back also because we've completed the transfer window, finally, and Joe Roden has slotted in now. So, in terms of actually slotting in, where in the changes he sit? I mean, are we looking at sort of limited opportunity in this season with one for the future, or is the time now? Well, this is the joy of the Europa League. It kind of... It allows us to to test things out. I think it's been it's been great so far in terms of building fitness, building momentum, allowing us to rotate the team. But I think we can go one step further and kind of experiment a bit with with Roden, with Tanganga when he's fully fit again, uh, because the quality of the opposition is you know without being patronising or or dismissive, the teams we're up against are, are way 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 worse than the teams we come up against in in the Premier League. So. We can afford to um, be a bit more creative, try a few things. And I think Roden should get a few games in the Europa League. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. He's not a player I know much about, so I'm really intrigued to see more of him. 
Um, I know he has one of uh, Mourinho's favourite attributes in the centre-back, which is height. He's very tall. Um, so hopefully hopefully all go well and he'll kind of cement himself uh, in the team through good performances in the Europa League. But worst case scenario is he doesn't get a chance this season and, uh, and, and he just kind of beds in and we see what next season has in store for him. So Holes, in terms of the transfer window itself... Would you consider that the perfect window? I won't ask for sort of a 10 out of 10 because it's very hard to sort of say, oh, we've had a 10 out of 10 window because these players actually need to play and show their worth. But with that said, do you feel we've sort of filled all our weaknesses? You know, if I gave you a shopping list at the start of the summer, have you ticked all of them off? Well, for once, I could actually probably say near enough yes. The fact that it's the first transfer window where I've actually seen signings come in in places, in vital places that we've actually needed. I mean, I didn't know whether we'd actually get that centre-back signing over the line and, and we did which is great and yeah I mean like we've got a backup striker which is unheard of ever I mean it's, it's a madness I'm, I'm very happy <laughs> and then obviously to get Bell for the nostalgia feels is something else and like I said even his talent as well I, I keep going on about it I'm probably blowing Gareth Bell's trumpet a bit too much but <laughs> the fact that the fact that he can sit on the bench at Real Madrid and then obviously in that final and he come on and scored that overhead kick I mean if he can if he can come and do that in a in a game that big, imagine what he'll do when he comes on against like I don't know Burnley or someone. Like it's just a madness to think that he's back at the club and the potential that he has. And if we can just unlock that for for twenty minutes here and there, and he bangs in a goal, I'm I'm all for it. So yeah, for me, it's been a it's been a brilliant window. I don't know whether I'd say perfect. Obviously, we've got to see how they all perform. But right now, I'm sitting happy. Yeah, I don't think in terms of you know utilizing what was required. I think we've you know. Levy's got a lot of goodwill all of a sudden, you know, even for people who have given him God knows what abuse months or so ago mm-hmm. for not getting those kind of players in, you know, that tide has turned for him. But of course, these players have to perform, so you shouldn't be too quick to sort of praise him. But it's nice to see that we're spending money, Chris, because, you know, that has been a real stick to beat Levy with over the years. So where do you think this change in mindset has come from? He had no choice. <laughs> he's, he's gone so, so long without kind of refreshing the squad. Uh, the, the painful rebuild that Pochettino warned about had to happen. I mean, it, it's that or you drop out of the top four, you drop out of the top six, maybe. We we could have, you know, so many other teams around us have strengthened. It would have been an absolute madness to have not done anything. So he basically had no choice at this point. And, uh, and thank goodness that was the case because uh, it's, it's, we've ended up with, a, like you said, a really, really, really strong squad, really strong team. Uh, the, the kind of gloss of the the Bale and Regalon signings elevate the window beyond what it would have been without them. Um, but overall, definitely a successful window. I mean, you can always go better. I, I feel like if we wanted to look at what would improve it even further, then you say replacing Aurier with a up and coming young right back would have been nice. Uh, more experienced centre back would have been nice. There's several players that I think we probably need to think about moving on before they they lose their value, so we can then reinvest those funds in the team. But no complaints in terms of uh, what we've managed to get over the line. I'm I'm very pleased with how the window went. So Holly, do you think the Everton game, being the the deer that it was, do you think do you reckon that actually sparked Levy into life and actually said actually? oh God, I do need to spend, because had we won that game, there wouldn't be such a, a clamour or a firestorm over Twitter and all that, you know, it got a bit nasty those, those couple of days after everything because it was such a meek showing. So has that defeat actually worked out better for us in the long run? I think it did. And it, it's a bit cliche because it, it was a firestorm on Twitter, I'm not going to lie. And that was probably one of those people that were losing my nut a bit over the fact that we've we've 
had like a good so far transfer window and this is this is what's happened but yeah no I think it did spark something and I also think that the fact we've spent money as well is the fact that we have got Jose now I loved Poch to bits but I think the only thing that Jose has over Poch is the fact that he's won everywhere he's gone and I think that just gives Levy a bit of reassurance that okay if this man wants this player I'm going to give him a bit of a bit of leeway because he's done this before so yeah I think it the Everton game definitely kick-started the buying Chris if we're going to try and take a positive for that West Ham game obviously it wasn't a loss and it does extend an unbeaten run so the next three fixtures are certainly favourable can we try and spin it even further and look to get 10 points out of 12 blimey that's a big ask isn't it um it's, it's possible it's definitely possible uh, I think it's unlikely, to be honest. I think we could drop more points, um, but like I said, I'm, I'm not. I'm not overly concerned about that. I think we were a really, really good team, and uh, and and our squad is good as well now. It's really important, particularly when you think of the Christmas period and how how quickly the Premier League games will come. Um, so there's potential to make up ground later. Um, I also think the the, the favourable fixtures that we have upcoming might end up not being favourable for a Mourinho team, if that makes sense. I think we, we might actually do better against teams that want to come and play. Um, and that's something to look out for as well, because we're very, very good on the counter. We can soak up pressure and then hit on the counter. Whereas teams that sit back and um, expect us to do all the work, that might be more of a struggle. So, uh, you know, 10, 10 points out of 12 is, is definitely possible. I personally think it's, it's unlikely and we should perhaps think about eight or nine points maybe seven but I think that's a good return as well yeah I think eight would be about par but I think also Holly I think Chris just sort of mentioned it actually it might be shall we say the swing games the two after that Man City and Chelsea where the big differences could be made yes you might drop points against the Burnley or West Brom but if you can get three over those two that sort of changes things over sorry that changes things overnight doesn't it yeah, exactly. I mean, when they're competing at that high level as well, if we can get points over them, like I'd be all for it sort of thing. So, yeah, like we said, other teams that like to sit back and not come at us is going to be one of the games where I sit there and pull my hair out. But then those other two, the Man City and Chelsea games, are going to be loving life, hopefully. Like we said, if we can score more goals than we can concede, we'll get those three points. Well, before we get to Burnley on Monday, we've got the Europa League exploits starting and they're against Lask, the Austrian side. So, as Chris says, we shouldn't downplay a position. You know, every game is a, a challenge, but with the group being as favourable as it is, you are sort of thinking, well, you know, the perfect chance to get off to a perfect start. So, with that said, Holly, how much change do you reckon you'll see from Sunday's lineup? Uh, I reckon we'll see a bit of change, like I said. I mean, obviously, I think Europa League needs to be up there with one of the things that we need to try and push over the line. Um, but I also think that he'll still definitely have that Burnley game in the back of his mind. So I don't think there'll be too much change um, from the game yesterday. But I think because of that draw and in that fashion, I think he is going to have in the back of the mind that Burnley game as well. So I think he might be a little bit reserved. So Chris, when you've got Harry Kane being as hot as he is, even Hume Min Song in this conversation, do you continue playing them because they are so hot? Or do you actually use the Europa League as the perfect opportunity to give someone like Kane the rest that he probably has been crying out for for a number of seasons? You definitely rest him. I mean, we've we've run into problems over the last two seasons where we've we've played Kane too much and he's got injured. And it's 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 a problem within Kane, but it's also a problem, you know, within within the club for not having a, a viable backup. Kane wants to play every minute and who can blame him? You know, he played it he wanted to stay on against uh, West Ham because he's on a hat trick. 
that is that's really it's, it's not a sensible move. He needs to, you know, in theory, when you're three nil up at home, uh, that is the time where you need to rest your your take off your best players and protect them. In theory, we should have been replacing Kane with Vinicius at, at that point and, uh, and and wrapping him in cotton wool. But that's not how Harry Kane works. He wants to play every minute of every game. I definitely would rest him on Thursday or against Burnley. Either way, what, just one of the two games he shouldn't play. I suspect that he won't play on Thursday. Um, but there's no no harm in having him on the bench, bring him on if we need him. Um, I'm sure he'd, he'd love to kind of carry on his momentum, score some goals, but he's played a lot of games already and we need to be very wary of that. So, Holly, now we've got this additional striker, of course he will play. There is going to be a time where he'll play and we won't win. Can you see this that being a bit of a problem where the obvious comment would be, well, if we started Kane, we probably would have won that game. So will that make a rod for his own back? I think, sadly, it will. I think, I know I keep going back to this, but Twitter is an ugly place. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I think it is something that will happen. I think, like we said, like this old age debate, whether if Lucas started the final in the Champions League, would it have gone to what it happened? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's always going to be that sort of conversation. So, yeah, but regardless, the fact that we now have a backup striker if people want to say those comments, let them have it. Because at the end of the day, I'd, I'd rather keep Kane safe. And I don't know, maybe in a game that is one of those games that we can afford to maybe drop points. I know I shouldn't be saying that. But if it means that the next game we get three points, it, it's a tough one. It's a very tough game to play. But I'd rather have a backup striker than no backup striker. Well, of course, because we've seen what happens when our man gets injured. And we're doomed, really, aren't we? So let's hope we're never in that situation again. And if we are, at least we've got suitable backup that can actually share the burden and we shouldn't really have too much of a crisis. And, you know, we know what a a Twitter crisis is like from Tottenham point of view. So let's end now on a Thursday night prediction. It is Lask at home. Europa League group underway. Chris, I'll start with you. What have you got for me? Uh, 10-0. He's gone big. He's gone very big, actually. (laughs) To be fair, though, with our attacking talent, I'll accept the 10, but I'll probably... We'll probably concede two in all of this, but yes, why not? <laughs> a big win for Chris, Holly. Anything else, Anything similar? Uh, I think I'll go 40. 40. Okay, I'll go for an emphatic, but not as emphatic as Chris's, 5 0 win. So, uh, so yes, that's it. Um, actually, let's do a Burnley prediction as well. We've got plenty of time. So, Monday Night Football next week. Chris, what, what have you got for me on that one? You're going to boo me, but I'm going to go 0 0. 0 0. Blimey. And Holly, what about yourself? Oh, I'm going to try and keep it positive and go 1-0 win. Yeah, I mean, Burnley have been dross this season, haven't they? Um, I think we've got to win that one. But then, it's, you know, dare I say Dr Tottenham and all that, you know, if they need a win, <laughs> come and visit us. But I, I think we'll win it. I think we'll win 2-1. I think the clean sheet will evade us, but we'll get the three points, which is the most important thing. And the next important thing is to do the admin for the show. So it's actually our first birthday this week. When what has been a crazy year, not just on this podcast, but in life in general. So thanks to everyone who has listened along the way so far and also to all the guests that have been on the show to date. It's Monday Night Football next week, of course, so everything gets pushed along a day, which means we will be recording the next episode next Tuesday. And now I need to thank my two guests. So, Chris, first up, thank you for a sterling debut tonight, mate. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'd like to come back at some point. I'd be delighted. I was honoured to be honoured to be invited on. It's good fun. Thanks, mate. Much appreciated. And Holly, thanks for leading the line this evening. Wearing the captain's armband, you did a fantastic job. Cheers. Thanks. I I really enjoyed it. And like I say, thanks for inviting me on again. No problem, Holly. It's always a pleasure to have you on board. I look forward to your next appearance. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And as always, come on you Spurs.
For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.